So I've been uh, gone for a couple weeks, and uh, I come back, and you voted me off the island. <laughs> That's okay. I, I anticipate... I anticipated that happening at some point, but don't despair because I, uh, I'll be here for a couple more months at least, and, uh, uh, and uh, one of my staff earlier today came up to me and said, hey, uh, are you ready? You've been out, you know, you haven't preached for a few weeks, and I, and I said, hey, I'm, I am ready. In fact, now I give the church the good stuff, so <laughs> you, you just wait, you just wait. Um, I'm going to be uh, reflecting uh, in my sermon this morning on a passage of scripture from Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 1, verse 14 to 20. If you'd like to follow along, you're welcome to do that. You can use a Bible, which looks like this. If you're, if you're young, you may have not seen one of these because you do everything on your phone or your computer or your, your uh, digital device. But if you want to uh, follow along, feel free. Uh, Mark chapter 1, 14 to 20. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. As he went a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. So the, uh, today and for the next few weeks, it's going to be a, short, a shortened uh, Lenten series, we are going to be uh, engaged in a series of sermons that I've entitled, The Journey with Jesus. And uh, as we look at a few episodes in the life and ministry of Jesus from the Gospel of Mark, primarily, um, I want to ask you two primary questions to sort of reflect on. And the first one is this, who is Jesus? And the reason why that's an important question is because sometimes for those of us who've been around the church, who've, who kind of think we know who Jesus is, we, um, we don't take a step back as if we're, we're observing Jesus' ministry for the first time. And so who is he? Let's ask that question. Who is he? And the second question is, what difference does it make? What difference does it make? The Gospel of Mark is one of my favorite Gospels because Mark doesn't mess around when it comes to describing the life and ministry of Jesus. He tells us exactly what we need to know without all the flourishes that we might find in the other Gospels. Mark kind of gets right to the point, and, and you actually heard it in the text that I read for you today. He uses this, this word all the time. Immediately, Jesus did this, and immediately, this happened. Immediately. If you read the Gospel of Mark sort of with your filter uh, uh, radar looking for that word. You'll see it everywhere. And another reason that I like Mark's uh, version of the gospel is because Mark is primarily concerned with painting a picture of Jesus who is active, who is engaged, who is preaching and teaching and, and healing from start to finish. Jesus is engaged with people, doing kingdom ministry and proclaiming the arrival of God's kingdom. So Mark presents us with a portrait of Jesus as the unique Son of God 
who is calling each of us to become Jesus' disciples. Thus, the the title of my sermon series, Journey with Jesus. Now, I want to say right at the outset that this, this notion of journeying with Jesus doesn't happen by accident, nor does it happen automatically because we've grown up attending church, or we have religious parents, or we're a pastor's kid. A journey with Jesus is a volitional, intentional decision that we make. And by the way, it's not just a one-time decision that we make. It has to start, obviously, at some point. But it is a decision that we make to journey with Jesus on a daily basis and sometimes even a moment-by-moment basis. And, And journeying with Jesus always begins with an invitation and, and it continues with this intentional decision. So Jesus invites and we respond. And the remarkable thing about uh, journeying with Jesus is it's not a one-size-fits-all kind of journey. Rather, a journey with Jesus takes us from where we are, wherever that may be, to uh, the place where God desires us to be. And however long that takes and on whatever path or, or um, whatever side routes are necessary for us to get there, um, that's what the journey often looks like. It's unpredictable. It's not a straight line. And um, the, the, the journey that you take is not going to be the same journey that I take. Our journeys are going to be different. Um, now who knew a, a year and a half ago that Roxy and I would find our way here to uh, suburban Kansas City to serve as your interim pastor during a very difficult time? Who knew? I didn't. And who knew that COVID would come along and change the way that we have had to do ministry? And of course, every church, well, everybody has had to change something about how they operate during this time. But, but it, that hasn't been easy all the time for us to figure this out. And, and who knew that our journeys with Jesus would mean that we would have the privilege of walking together for these last months together? I, I didn't know. And while you prepare for your next season of fruitful ministry with your new pastor, uh, who otherwise is known affectionately as the new Nate, not to be confused with the old Nate, who's already on our staff, um, as you're preparing for this season, Roxy and I will be preparing to say goodbye. And our hearts are full of affection for you and for this congregation, and we will uh, be paying very careful attention to the way that God uses uh, this congregation for ministry in the future. And and we will be thankful that we were part of it during this this very unusual time. So as we think about Jesus' invitation to the disciples that I just read for us a moment ago in the Gospel of Mark, um, one of the things I think we observe very quickly as we look at this text is that Jesus' invitation always implies a unique relationship with God. Jesus' invitation always implies a unique relationship with God. As we, as we look more closely at this description, we, we see that um, Jesus isn't calling them to sign up for a program. Jesus isn't asking them to take a trip. Uh, Jesus is inviting them into a relationship. And, and this is really important because I think that sometimes we lose sight of this relational character of, uh, of what discipleship actually means. 
Um, so it's not a one-time deal where you say, yeah, I, I rose my hand um, during an altar call at summer camp when I was 12 years old, and I remember that. You know, I have fond memories of that, but now I, have, I don't have to think about it anymore. That's not the kind of uh, invitation that Jesus is calling us to. Jesus wants us to be engaged on a regular, ongoing basis in this unique relationship. And part of the reason that, that, that I think we are invited into this unique relationship uh, is because Jesus has a unique relationship with his own Father. And so we, too, as a result of that relationship, get invited into our own unique relationships with God the Father. So Mark's picture that he, that he uh, is painting for us reveals, uh, re- reveals the heart of a father who invites us into this relationship. And this relationship is based on love and forgiveness and obedience. There's no hint of threat. There's no hint of manipulation uh, to follow Jesus. Like, if you don't follow me, then, you know, a cloud's going to follow you around wherever you go. There's nothing like that. There's no quid pro quo that requires our obedience if we want to receive God's blessing. If you do this, if you, if you behave yourself, then God will bless you. That's not, that's not part of this invitation. This relationship is based on the remarkable love and mercy of God. Now, sometimes our images of God, our perceptions of God, um, because of our past experience, make it really difficult for us to, to see our relationship with God in this way. And, and when that's the case, it's important for us to, to, every time we find ourselves sort of doubting that God's, God's love or God's invitation being without strings attached, um, it's, it's important for us to ask ourselves at those moments where, where we, can't, we can't fathom why God would extend that kind of invitation to us, we, we must ask, is there anything in my past experience that may be contributing to a distorted image that I have of God? And we need to deal with that distortion, whatever it is. Because if we don't, then we're not going to be able to, um, to, to live into, to lean into this, to this wonderful, graceful relationship that God wants to have with us. And now, in, in addition to wanting to have this, uh, this, this unique relationship with us, Mark descri- describes that the nature of that relationship begins with a significant shift that takes place. And that shift needs to take place not only in our hearts, but in our thinking, because that's, it's when that shift happens that we begin to experience God's love to the fullest. So the word that is often used to describe this shift is the word repentance. And I know it's a big, it's a $10 word, um, but it, it effectively it means that you turn from where you're headed and you, and you change your direction and you begin going a different direction to a different destination. What I like to say is repentance means turning from something and turning toward something else. See, see, Jesus' ministry begins after John the Baptist was arrested, and Jesus takes up John's sort of prophetic uh, calling and ministry, um, and he begins to preach sort of the same sermon, if you will, that John has been preaching. 
uh, and, he, and he says, repent. Jesus says, repent, which literally means to turn around and believe the good news. Repent and believe. Now, now you might wonder at this point, why would it be necessary for Jesus to repent? I mean, it, it, he was already without sin because of his relationship with the Father. Why would it be necessary for him to repent? And, and yes, that's true. He, he probably didn't need to repent from his past. But in the prophetic tradition, repentance is understood to imply both turning from something in the past, but also turning towards something else in the future. In other words, we don't repent exclusively because we're turning away from, you know, from some past indiscretion, whatever that may have been. Um, repentance also implies a desire to sort of reorient our lives in a direction that is different than the path that we are currently traveling upon. So if you today, whether you're sitting at home and, and watching this on your TV or your computer screen or whether you're here in the building this morning, um, if you find yourself traveling on a path that you know intuitively is not productive or healthy for your spiritual life and well-being, then perhaps you need to reorient, repent, and, and begin to, to direct your life in a new direction to a different destination. Last weekend, Roxy and I traveled to Fayetteville, Arkansas. Have any of you uh, been down there? It's not too far. It's two, three hours away. Yeah, it's, it's a nice place. I know some of you have uh, kids that went to college down there, so you probably know the road with your eyes closed. But uh, we had never been to Arkansas. We had certain expectations about what we were going to see when we got there, and, and, and they were completely blown away by, by this little corner in the northwest uh, part of the state of uh, Arkansas. But since we'd never traveled there before, we put uh, on our uh, destination of our map program of one of our phones uh, where we wanted to go, and uh, we just sort of followed those directions. Come to think of it, we'd, we've been doing that the entire time we've been here, actually. You know? uh, and every once in a while, we would come to a place where there would be alternative routes that we could take or choose to take to sort of alter our route if we wanted to. And that, and that happens even driving around town here. You know, this, this route is five minutes faster. Or there's, there's traffic here, so we're taking you this way. You know, that, it's, it's a crazy world. And we could, we could have intentionally chosen to go to that destination in a variety of different ways. Um, we didn't. We kind of followed the original route. But um, even when, we, when and if we took a wrong turn, the, the, uh, the, the map program would reroute us so that we would get back onto the route, right? That's, that's what they do. And we would still uh, arrive at our intended destination eventually, even if it meant that we were going through, um, you know, Miami Beach to get there. <laughs> and and, and uh, so when the, when the prophet John is talking about repentance, he's not just talking about repenting of, of what's happened in the past, but he's inviting us to a new and a different destination. And so that, I want, I want to be clear about that. And Jesus adds this phrase in his sermon that's a little different than John, where he says, repent for the kingdom of God has arrived. Repent for the kingdom of God has arrived. When Jesus says the kingdom of God has arrived, he's stating that, that the sovereign rule of God is now here. 
that the presence of God is in this place. He's saying in no uncertain terms that the realm and the rule of God is going to be the rule of the day. And for many hearing Jesus say this in, in this day, um, this is good news because they're frankly tired of living under the thumb of the oppressive Roman um, culture and they're looking for anything other than what they have had in the past. And this good news of the, of the coming kingdom leads us and those who hear this invitation to respond. And that response, most fittingly, is to, believe, to repent and to believe. You see, the, the good news of God's coming kingdom, it's not like the weatherman telling us that the temperature will be warmer tomorrow or that the rain will stop in a couple days and everything will be good. I mean, uh, that's good news for sure, but it doesn't require anything from us except for sort of, sort of a sigh of relief, right? That's, that's, that's not the kind of good news that Jesus is, is proclaiming. The good news that Jesus proclaims always, always requires a response from those who hear this news and understand, or at least partially understand, the implications of that invitation, that the implications being that they extend far beyond just sort of a shrug or a nod. This, this is a life-changing uh, invitation. The good news that Jesus proclaims calls for sort of a, a recalibration of our destination, a change in orientation. I'm trying to use all kinds of words that aren't religious here because I really want you to hear the importance of this. It means a redirecting of our priorities so that is what is important to God also becomes important to us. And another dimension of Jesus' invitation is Jesus always extends an invitation to ordinary people doing ordinary things. Did you catch that in this passage? Jesus walks along the Sea of Galilee and he comes upon some fishermen fishing. And he suggests, this, this passage suggests to me that the ordinary disciples who's, who Jesus invites to follow are often called to follow in the midst of doing ordinary things, things that they do all the time. And in this case, the would-be disciples are fishermen. So, so they were doing what fishermen do. They were fishing, Right? When, when Roxy and I lived in Alaska a few years ago, it was hard for me not to get sort of swept up in the favorite pastime of, of most people who live in Alaska, which is, you'll never guess, fishing. And I had this avid fisherman friend who was on my worship team, he was the drummer, who went fishing all the time, and he invited me to go fishing with him. So he outfitted me with waders and a fishing pole, and he gave me a quick lesson on how to, how to respond when I uh, felt the, the, the bite of a fish on my hook, and I never realized it was so complicated. I mean, I just thought you, you stuck your, your hook in the water, and the fish came along, and they were hungry, and they it, and all of a sudden you had a fish. It's a little more complicated than that. But anyway, I had never fished in waders before, and I still, I still have this vivid memory. His feet were smaller than mine, so my toes were curled up inside these waders. 
I don't know why I remembered that, but... Uh, so here we are in this beautiful, pristine Alaskan river, and I had heard stories that, that if you fish at certain times of the year, when the fish are running, you can almost bend down and you can grab a salmon with your bare hands. There are so many of them. Uh, you, you can, and uh, I thought, okay, how, how hard can fishing in Alaska be? Okay. So you, you put your hook in the water, and you catch your fish, and you reel it in slowly. You take it off, you put it to the side, and you do it all over again. And before noon, you've got your, you've got your uh, limit, and you can go on and do something else. Well, um, we got to the end of that day, and uh, I didn't have any fish. <laughs> and neither did my avid fisherman friend Dave, either. He didn't have any fish uh, either. And so I asked him, I said, Dave, what, you know, what's going on? Uh, you know, I thought you could just drop your, your hook in the, uh, in the water and you'd have a fish instantaneously. And he gave me this little piece of wisdom. He said this, he said, if the fish aren't biting, it doesn't matter what you do. Hmm. There might be some wisdom there. So, so, Jesus sees a couple of fishermen fishing, and he says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. I mean, maybe they were having a bad day, and the fish weren't biting, and this, this seemed like a, a good alternative for them. I don't know. And surprisingly, Simon Peter and his brother Andrew, they picked up their nets, and they immediately began to follow Jesus. There was, no, there was no salary negotiation involved. Jesus didn't offer them details about their retirement benefits and some of the other perks. He just invited them to follow. And they must have thought, I mean, think about this. They must have thought, I, I know how to fish for fish. How hard can it be to fish for people? I mean, really. Jesus' first act of ministry in the Gospel of Mark is to invite ordinary people doing ordinary things to follow him. And the same is true today. When Jesus calls disciples today, Jesus is still looking for ordinary people in ordinary jobs who hear Jesus' call to follow and who are willing to align their vision with God's vision for God's future. And Jesus invites us to believe in something and, and the decision to do that will cost us everything. This is the part that I'm not holding back. Following Jesus isn't, it isn't always fun. It's not always easy. It's not a game. It will cost you everything. Because I don't want you, you know, to come up to me in 15 or 20 years and say, hey, Brad, you didn't tell me the, the, the real story about this. I'm telling, you the sto I'm telling you the real story. It's going to cost you everything. And when Jesus walked along the Sea of Galilee, he, he walks into the place where you happen to be, and he invites us to believe in something. And as I said, there, there's no doubt about it that it's going to cost us something. And, and why is this so startling for us uh, as 21st century uh, middle American Christians 
to hear. And I think part of the reason is because we've become a convenience culture of easy belief and no commitment. We believe in something as long as it has benefits for us, as long as it continues to work for us, right? We're quick to believe something else when that other thing that we believe doesn't work anymore. That's what we do. And, and we don't like to commit ourselves to stuff either. Have you noticed that? Have you ever noticed that, that and I'm, by the way, I'm not just talking about in the church, I'm talking about in general. Um, we are a culture that likes to keep our options open. And if we must be committed, we better get a decent return on our investment, our time, our energy, our resources. But I like the way that uh, the Dallas Willard uh, describes discipleship at this point. And, and he says this, discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Let me say that again. I, I, think it's, I think it's a wonderful definition of discipleship. Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Just because Jesus may call us to become active followers doesn't mean that we have to become somebody different from whom God has already created us. You, you see what I'm saying? God calls us out of our ordinariness, out of our ordinary activity, whatever that may be, to be a follower. When I first decided to follow Jesus as a child, I understood what it meant with the mind of a 12-year-old. But even then, I knew that following Jesus was more significant than collecting cereal box tops or riding my bike with my best friend. I knew, it was, I knew it was more significant than those things. And then somewhere in high school, I had a pastor who added to my understanding of Jesus' invitation by suggesting to me that following Jesus was not just one decision that you make among many in your life, but it is the only decision that I will ever make that will ultimately matter. And, and I can say to you now, this many years later, I don't know how many, that, that that pastor is exactly right. It is the only decision that I, will, that, I have, that I have made in my life that will ultimately matter. And when we decide to follow Jesus, there will be some who will come up to us and they'll say, why are you doing that? You're not going to become one of those Jesus fanatics, are you? Or as somebody came to me when I was sort of impressionable as a young follower of Jesus, they said, you know, sometimes you are too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good. <laughs> Thanks. When we choose to follow Jesus, we may change our life goals from going to law school and instead go to seminary. That's my story. Yet it, it's possible to be a follower of Jesus and at the same time excel in whatever it is that God has gifted us to do. So whether it's as a successful business person or a physician or a teacher or an asp aspiring concert musician, a mechanic, it doesn't matter. As Dallas Willard says, Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Yet there's another reason why we should consider becoming a disciple of Jesus. Being a disciple of Jesus gives us hope and strength and confidence to face the challenges that life brings our way. Being a disciple of Jesus gives us hope 
strength, and confidence. Being a disciple of Jesus ultimately is a call to a transformed life. When those ordinary fishermen were minding their own business and doing what ordinary fishermen do on the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus' invitation to follow interrupted their routine. Did you catch that word? Interrupted their routine? But the invitation is never going to come when we're ready for it. I'll assure you of that. He interrupted their routine. And I think the reason why they left their nets and they followed Jesus was because they understood that Jesus' invitation was to something bigger and better and more significant than anything they'd ever done up to that point. It was an invitation to a transformed life. And, and, and this invitation to a transformed life recognizes that, that our lives are not our own to do as we wish, but our lives belong to God. They always have. It's just whether or not we recognize that. An invitation to a transformed life means that we don't have to continue carrying the weight of our guilt and sin because Jesus relieves us from that burden. An invitation to a transformed life means when Jesus comes along and calls ordinary people like you and like me to follow, he does so knowing full well of who we are and what we've done. And here's the remarkable thing. He still invites us. He still invites us. If you desire to experience a life that looks like this, the journey that Jesus is calling us to begins with with us setting aside our doubts and our fears and the obstacles that have kept us up until now from diving in headfirst and simply following. It's not complicated. There are no hidden agendas on Jesus' part. And here's the thing. Jesus' invitation isn't just for fishermen. Jesus' invitation is for you, too. Will you pray with me? God, I don't know um, the paths that all of us are walking on that brought us to this place this morning, whether we're sitting here in the sanctuary or sitting at home and we just happenstance logged in to this, uh, participate in this service. But I do know that the journey that we're on, whoever we are, is, is not a journey that's by accident. And my prayer today is that whoever... Um, is within the sound of my voice if they have this yearning sense that the, that the destination that they're heading for is not a one that you are inviting them to, that you would give them the courage and the strength and the wisdom to, uh, to redirect their, um, their GPS, if you will. God, as we find ourselves in this place preparing in Lent to welcome you into our lives again. 
I pray that you will help us encounter Jesus in a new and fresh and meaningful way, one whereby our lives are turned inside out and upside down. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.